This is Real Talk, the customer insights show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Pop.me, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Vogel, and today I want to continue our series on the ever-changing market research landscape. That includes the democratization of market research, a very weighted topic, of course, and ever-changing consumer behaviors and trends. So to dive into that topic today, I'm joined by my friend Ryan Berry, president at Zappi. As Ryan says, he's passionate about building business the right way, where people are empowered to be great, where products make people's lives easier, and where big, hairy problems are tackled by teams without ego. I'm interested to learn how he goes about accomplishing that. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, JV. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. So good to have you here today. I'm excited to dive into this topic. We're going to have a little fun. It's Friday afternoon. It's Friday fun. That's it. Yeah. It's Friday, Friday fun. fun. Exactly. Um, so before we get started in the topic, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience at Zappy? Cool. Yeah. So um, I've been uh, been in the consumer insights technology space for about 15 years, um, and I joined Zappy just under eight years ago. Um, and, and the truth is, I joined Zappy after looking at a whole bunch of different technology businesses. I was employee seven, um, and and the reason I chose to join Zappy is I felt that uh, Steve's vision had a had an opportunity to solve some big problems. Um, at the time, I was pretty annoyed with us as an industry. We just seemed to not be able to get out of our way. Very grounded in what was always what we always did, being the answer to a lot of questions. And um, and I really felt like if we could embed technology into the space, we could elevate the game of consumer insights. We could help better products, better services get into market. And so that's 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 kind of what, what still drives me today. Um, and I've held a variety of different roles. Um, to, you know, you, you said kind of what, what I do. Um, I, I oversee our, our operation now and leading our teams and leading them to help our customers get the outcomes that they want. Amazing. Um, your point about, I mean, eight years ago, joining Zappi, feeling like the, in, as an industry, we can't get out of our own way. Do you think that's changed? It's starting to. I mean, I, I think in, in many ways, like the, the pandemic forced some of this, right? So if people... If people were holding on to we've always done it this way and all of a sudden every trend line every assumption that they had was actually factually irrelevant they didn't really have a choice right so i, I think that helped this industry but um I, I think if you just look at the sheer rise of adoption of technology the fact that smr cited something like 50 percent of projects being done self-service using technology it does show that there's a tide changing um whether or not technology is being used appropriately or it's having the impact on people's output and ultimately the share price for the businesses that they're supporting. Uh, well, I think it's a mixed bag and it depends on the organization. But um, I do feel like even before COVID, the last, say, three years have started, I have started to feel a great sense of momentum around, uh, around the change in the industry. And it's not just technology, right? Technology is just the tool we use to, to do our jobs. I, I think yeah. it's what, what it enables. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, if you were to interview me when I started at Zappi in 2014, I would have said I'm pissed off with the industry. 
Um, <laughs> I'm feeling quite optimistic about the next several years. I'm excited about the, the convergence of, of the change and, and what it means for, uh, for consumers, what it means for marketing departments, innovation departments, and, and ultimately insights departments as well. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're not pissed off. At I'm not pissed off. I'm happy this Friday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can't be pissed off on a Friday. No, you know. December. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, so we've talked on the show before with others about skill sets that are needed on, on the team. So I'd love to hear your perspective on what skills market research insights teams need today to be great. How do leaders empower them? How does it help to, to drive the right results? Like, what are the skills that are needed now that maybe are different from, uh, you know, 2014? So why don't we talk about in general and then insights teams? So I, I think in general, what I look for when I hire people is I don't care about um, whether they're introverted or extroverted. I do a lot of work with our, with our people team and our hiring managers to make sure that we are hiring um, with diversity and inclusivity in mind. But I've, I've been able to distill three traits that I think are important in uh, today's mindset, in today's world. Um, the first is curiosity, um, always being able to check your own assumptions, to question things, to unlearn things is really, really important because things aren't linear anymore. Like you really need to be able to embrace the fact that your market could fundamentally change overnight. So curiosity is point one. The second is a growth mindset, which is this desire to constantly improve yourself, your situation, your team, whatever your role is, I think that that cascades. And then I think the third one is coachability. And it, it, it does sort of link to the other, but um, if you're somebody who can't take feedback, um, well, I, I think it's problematic. Um, and I don't really want you around me because I could take feedback and I don't, like I, I uh, did something annoying to somebody on my team the other day and she felt very comfortable calling me out. And I felt very comfortable with that and with the discussion we had afterwards. And I think that, that those three things are, are, are critical. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're a, an individual contributor, a player, a leader, I, I sort of look for those things. I think the job of leadership, JV, is, is to create an environment where diverse groups of people can come together and do their best. Everybody's best is different. And so I think a lot of that is finding the balance of tension between painting an ambitious vision for what the team needs to do, what we need to accomplish, but also fostering a, a psychologically safe environment so that people feel comfortable, regardless of level, title, seniority, whatever, calling bullshit on something and, and challenging an assumption. And I think that a lot of a lot of modern day business from where I sit is about balancing paradox. And I, I recognize the tension that is psychological safety and ambitious vision. Um, mm. But it's something that we we at Zappi actually hold our leaders accountable for. Um, and I think the other part for leaders is to hold the space for teams to experiment, to test things, to fail, to try stuff, and then ultimately to, to make moves. Um, and, and so those things are broad. And I think they need to happen more in big business. Both of our businesses, um, we help the Fortune 100 a lot. And I think they're trying to change, but there's still a lot of legacy ways of working where the, the most senior person in the rooms who everybody listens to, even if they're wrong. Um, and I think that's going to change over time. Um, but some of that cripples insights people from being successful because they naturally are, they naturally came up to be skeptic, to be introverted, to, to be in the data, to be understanding of marketing science. And now they're being asked overnight to become business people, storytellers, creators, and are they being enabled 
to uh, to develop those skills? And are there, and are there leaders in, in matrix organizations actually giving them the space um, to get there? And that's one of the, I think the, the problems that I, I said to you in your first question that we, we we have a lot of great adoption of technology, but are we always getting the most out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that is cultural. I will my my company will still get somebody this afternoon who says we're launching an ad on Monday. There's nothing we can do to change it, but we just need a rubber stamp. And we heard you guys can test ads overnight. Um, and that's a symptom of culture from where I sit. Mm. Yeah, just kind of ticking the box and saying, see, we totally. did it. Yeah. Perpetuating yeah, yeah. bad behavior, right? Instead of being mm-hmm. like, are we actually here to learn about something? Right, totally. So I think one of the things you said, you know, certainly about, about transparency and uh, like regardless of level or title or where you fit in the organization, being able to question and, you know, respectfully disagree with others in the business, like what what advice would you give to someone to start to be able to do that? Like what approach should, should people take if they're in an environment where maybe that's not so welcome? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, and cause you know, even you could be an incredible leader on an incredible team in a really messed up company and that, that exists, right? A company mm. where maybe the CEO changes their mind every day or whatever that is. Um, so I think, Empathy is an important thing here. Everybody, uh, I believe most people are inherently good and sometimes our environments uh, change the way we behave. Um, I'm a super emotional person and it took a long time for me not to take things personally that would happen in say a customer's organization or what have you. But I think you have to recognize people are a product of their environments. And so understanding their environment and their context will help you have a better dialogue of how to maybe challenge them. Um, You know, I think one of the things that uh, I coach people on, particularly people that, um, you know, maybe are younger in their career is it's absolutely essential that you challenge things, but make sure you ask enough questions to know the context before you make an assertion. So I think a lot, it's, it's really easy for somebody to sit back and say the way we're doing it's wrong, or that doesn't make any sense, but asking, Hey, why did we do it this way? What are, what are we trying to achieve? What are the assumptions that we're baking? And then having that opinion, Mm-hmm. is grounded in a place of, okay, now we share context and I can, I can actually make an assertion. Um, and so I, I, I say this a lot to people, assert, but make sure you uh, understand first, understand the current state, understand the context. So I think empathy in asking questions before you assert would be the two pieces of advice I would give. Amazing. Empathy is always a good theme that comes out of these conversations, no matter where we're at. Uh, before we move on, I have another another follow up because you you mentioned those kind of three skill sets that you're looking for, those more soft skills or personality traits that you're looking for when you're hiring. What are some of the ways that you identify those in a person when you only have, you know, thirty minutes to get to know them and through a hiring cycle? We could have a whole interview tangent about. Yep how messed up interviews are. Uh-huh. Um, I actually think we did have this tangent together uh, <laughs> the other day on the phone because, um, you know, we're buds. So we talk sometimes. It's really difficult for candidates and employers to mm. actually get to know each other in an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really, personally, I have a really unorthodox interview style, which is I tend to ask questions that get somebody talking about something that they know, that they're passionate about, and see how they engage. Because, you know, let's just say somebody applies for a job at Zappy. If they're good, they've spent some time on our website. Perhaps they've listened to our podcast. Maybe they've tried our software. They've done a few things like this. Great. 
but I can't expect them to have the full context of, you know, how we create demand, how we do customer success, how we write software code, what have you. So I find getting people to talk about things in detail um, really helps you see how they think, how they understand topics. So that's, that's one tactic I have. And then I always ask people to reflect on situations where they're not at their best and why. And I, I think that gets you, um, you know, that gets them to really reflect vulnerably about, okay, what are the types of situations that I, I'm dreadful in? Um, the first one is pretty easy, right? So curiosity, um, if, if, so I just interviewed somebody before this call and I, I specifically left 30% of the interview open for them. If they go, I don't have a lot of questions. Well, they're not curious, right? So, I mean, this yeah. I just interviewed was curious as hell. They asked me a bunch of questions. Um, so so I, I think that's one. Um, also, if you're doing an interview process with somebody, um, seeing how they respond to feedback that you've gotten from an interview panel is also a good way to see how they take feedback, right? So, um, we are interviewing for a position at the moment. One of the things is, uh, are they going to dig their heels in if blah, blah, blah happens? And so I just ran that scenario with them and played it through and saw how they behaved. Growth mindset's difficult because you can sort of listen for it. Uh, but there's some proxies like, uh, you know, are, are they responsive through the process? Are they engaged? Um, mm -hmm. and I have mixed feelings about thank you letters because I think it's very American of me to say I only hire people with thank you letters. As I've learned in other cultures, that's just not as pervasive. So um, mm. I've sort of changed my tune on that. If you would have interviewed me three years ago, I would have said I never hire somebody who's not sent a thank you note. Um, but different cultures just are, are sort of different, right? So you just, you know, you have to change your, your course on some of these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree that a lot of times you kind of get to know you can get to know the history and the, you know, from somebody's resume, right? And you you know what they've done, you know, their experience and, and this other stuff, it like doesn't come from the interview questions. It's like, you know, how they, how they behave in the process, as you mentioned, or like, I love to interview somebody for like five minutes and give them the rest of the time to ask questions. Yeah. I learned so much more about, you know, job candidates based on the questions they ask me just in terms of the their approach and how they think and you know what's important to them what they focus on versus the things I want to ask them um so yeah you're yeah. smart I'm, I'm I'm similar to you right like if you get somebody's guard down and let them drive you can see how their brain works right um, I think one of the challenges that you still see in recruitment processes is if just because somebody's introverted and might not think quick on their feet, they might struggle in some environments. And so mm. I'm constantly trying to experiment with ways to get more shy folks disarmed, but also engaged in a way that, uh, you know, like I, I have some people on my team who are curious, growth-minded and coachable, but need mm -hmm. three days to think about something. Um, yeah. How the hell do you get that out of a 30 minute interview process? Right? So <laughs> I think there's just some, some uh, well, I'm gonna constantly experiment to, to try to make this better for people. Cause I, I recognize it's difficult. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But at least at least you're, you're kind of making a start. Um, yeah. So I want to, you know, those of you out there, you may or may not know that Ryan is a secret marketer. He ran the the Zappy marketing team for about a year and did a fabulous job. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between marketing and market research. You know, how is that evolving in our customers' companies right now? Um, and where do we see that that relationship going? Yeah, so I, I think it needs to evolve exponentially more than it is. Mm. You know, it used to be marketing has an idea, a thing they want to create, a thing, an experience they want to bring into the world, what have you. 
and they go downstairs to the to the sixth floor and they do a market research survey and they wait for the results and then they get the market research department to come and tell them and then they decide if they move forward or not. Um, I think that that needs to change for a variety of reasons. If if we continuously as a market research industry require the marketer to stop their stride, to come engage, to wait, they're going to find other ways of doing things, which might not be the best way to get consumer insight. Um, and you see this, there's a lot of uh, product managers, innovators, marketers that are uh, just saying, I'm not going to, I'm going to go around the insights department. And I, and I think if that's happening in your organization, you need to ask yourself hard questions as to why. I've seen this happen in a few companies. Um, and this is where I personally believe the world's going. I think there's there's strategic consumer insights, there's insights operations that are key jobs of the consumer insights department. How do you set up an ecosystem of insights tools that allows your business to understand your customer, regardless of what department they sit in? Because the customer success, um, this is not my quote. I don't know who I'm stealing this from. I think it's Nick Meta from Gainsight. Customer success is everybody's job. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you set up an environment where the tools, the capabilities, the data sets that are required when you're creating experiences, when you're monitoring in market, when you're deciding on your strategy are in the, the fingertips of the people making those decisions? That's part one of, I think, what the insights department's job needs to become, not holding the gate. The gatekeeping stuff, we got to stop people. We can't be doing this stuff because we're just going to become irrelevant, which then leads me to my second point. If we have a stack that works for the business, and we elevate ourselves to be strategic in the way we think, to curate multiple different vantage points across multiple different data sets, well, then we can be strategically relevant in the boardroom and we can be what we could be a part of a conversation that says, hey, brand manager of brand A, did you know that the last three things you did didn't sell for these reasons, but if you did this, it would sell more? Well, that'd be a super valuable conversation if I'm a, if I'm a marketer. I want to understand how to improve. But if I'm in, the, in flight on something, I don't really necessarily want to go, no go-y type thing, which happens a lot. And so I think if you have the ecosystem and insights elevates their game, what then ends up happening is a marketer who's developing an ad uses Zappy and Vox Pop Me to iterate as they develop it. The insights person is watching all that behind the scenes and then actually curating learnings to say, you know, when we tried that in China, it didn't work. So let's test our assumption that it will work in the UK because obviously they're different cultures. You know what I mean? Like there's, I think that there's a real big opportunity to do that. And I am seeing some bold companies actually do this. I mean, I, I have a customer and I'll, I'll, I'll it's Perno Ricardo. I just interviewed him on our podcast. Mm. They democratize our system to 850 global marketers, which is super cool. And the insights yeah. people have the impact that I, I was just telling you about. Um, and I, I think that's really important for us as an industry, not just for the preservation of market research, for the elevation of the consumer in the company. And I, I think that's what that's what's most important. That's such an interesting distinction. And like it's not about, you know, my role, my responsibility, your, you know, my expertise, my, you know, me versus you. It's about elevating the consumer in the business yeah. and having that mindset first, like just makes everybody do their job better. Right. And I think what you just described of like all of the marketers in the business having access to these insights tools is very rare. We're like not seeing that a lot, right? And and insights departments are getting stepped over. And I think actually sometimes the fear 
of, well, if we allow marketers to do research, they're going to make bad decisions with bad data. Well, if you don't support them <laughs> in it at all, then of course that's what's going to happen. So working together on it is only going to make both better. But I love your recommendations about like, be more strategic, more proactive in the recommendations. Don't wait for somebody to come to you and ask to answer the question. Um, like I'm thinking in my own you know, role, like, like somebody in RevOps or, you know, marketing ops is constantly thinking about like, you know, where should we optimize? Um, you know, I, I sort of envision consumer insights the way you're describing to do a similar, a similar job. They have to. Yeah, they have to. I think it was Jamie in Brazil put something out about research ops on LinkedIn the other day, and it totally resonated mm -hmm. with me. Like, it, it's, it's about that curation. Um, and to the whole, like, we can't give marketers the tools because they'll mess it up. Guys, let's come on. Like the, the software in the industry today is good. We're not talking about basic Google survey forms from 2008. Like all the companies building software in the space have a degree of expertise baked into it. Marketers are naturally good at using software to do their jobs. Um, but yet I still listen to gong calls with our customers and my sales team always asks the question, who do you want access? And I would say 70% still say things like, we'll keep access for now. And it, it, hurts, it hurts my soul when I hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's a tricky one because I, you know, it's it that is the area where I think it is taking a long time for, you know, there's there's I guess a, a really noticeable divide between yes. some of the consumer insights folks who are like, you know, totally on board with it and supporting the marketing teams in doing their own research when it makes sense and focusing on being more strategic and then others who are like, you know, maybe coming from a bit more of a place of fear. I think so. Yeah. And I, I, I do empathize with those people, but I, I think my message to them is if you do this right, what you'll do all day is deep consumer understanding, ethnographies. You'll be able to understand like what's actually happening in culture. And I, I would just ask you to think, did you get into market research to do surveys and project management all day? The answer is probably not, right? So I think it takes a bold step forward, but um, I do believe the other side of that journey is a much more fulfilling job as an insights mm. professional. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and, you know, we started to touch on skill sets earlier, but, you know, specific to market researcher and marketers, what skills do they need now to be more strategic, to work better together as as those two functions. And I would throw product in there too. I mean, like innovation teams, um, you know, what skill sets do, do those teams need to have to, to collaborate better? I think having a, a scientific or experimental mindset is important. Um, that way you're, you're never like, I, I'd be skeptical of somebody who's always a thousand percent sure of themselves in those roles. Mm. Like, let's test our assumptions. And that doesn't mean like, let's do big pilots and proof of concepts. Like let's try stuff and see what happens, whether that be new tools, new approaches to the marketplace. So I just think constantly learning and unlearning is, is something. Um, the ability to simplify the complex is something that I don't know that uh, as a market research industry or consumer insights industry, or whatever the Vogue term is, we're going to use this decade. Um, I can't <laughs> wait for next year's Vogue term. Um, but, but, you know, like the, I think, um, you know, really being able to take complexity and explain it in ways that are going to help a creator, a finance person, whomever you're engaging with action becomes the job. I, I don't, you know, I, I get a lot of 
personally, I get a lot of data thrown at me in my job and I get very few insights that are like, oh, you know what? We should go left. We should go right. This is why. Um, and, and I think ultimately that's what people want. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. So I won't, I won't name the company because it would embarrass somebody, but having a, I was having a beer with somebody. They were a customer of mine. This was about five years ago. And they had a stack of papers, of a printed PowerPoint deck that was this big. And the CEO walked by and the person goes, I got to go. I've been waiting for this all day. And that person <laughs> runs over to the CEO, comes back two minutes later. And I was like, well, that was quick. And the person goes, yeah, they just want to know the answer uh, to one question. And I just thought to myself, this brings me to my next point. Um, that's, that's a lack of discovery. So actually understanding your, your uh, multidisciplinary partners. So I, I personally believe companies should be more organized around problems and functions than they are. It's something we're trying to tackle in our business. But mm. you were really understanding and, and not shy to ask the CEO, what are you actually trying to achieve? Well, you would have saved yourself about a week doing stupid smart art and PowerPoint that that, that ended up in the <laughs> like, come on, like we don't want to do that sort of stuff. So I think that also comes from, you know, so I think being curious, I said it earlier, but being good at, at doing discovery and really understanding what the problem is. And I mean this both internally and externally. So I, I believe businesses used to be able to rely on their purchasing power, their manufacturing prowess and their marketing budgets to make money. Mm -hmm. we're consumers, JV, we call bullshit real quick, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you're, if you're not actually understanding me as a person, um, and what my micro community equals, then you're probably not going to integrate into it. And that's, that's problematic for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so all those skills, I think, translate for insights and marketers. I think for marketers, it is about checking your ego and actually be willing to let your customers tell you you're wrong because people actually only care about themselves when it's deep down they want to they want to be spoken to about things they care about in words that they understand and they don't give a shit that you won an award at con last year they just don't um and by the way i don't either um so. i care a little i kind of want to I, I want the invite if i'm honest i want to go to the party jv maybe we get on a boat you know have a little rosé i'm fine with that but um how many no, you... how many con awards have resulted I mean, this, this is not a direct correlation. There's many great advertisers winning con awards, but there's yeah. a few in the last year that have won con awards, but their share price is going down. Mm -hmm. Their company has been eroded. Um, yeah. Well, I think you're exactly right. That, like, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're exactly right that like companies used to be able to compete on product and now it's not enough. The product is the, is the bare minimum. The good product is the bare minimum. But I think it's Danny Meyer, who's the Shake Shack founder, who says, like, what if the product is free and you're paying for the way the experience makes you feel? Right. Like that. That's what what companies need to be thinking about when they're thinking about what they're creating for consumers. And it you know, it's so important to understand what consumers need. I think what's really interesting about what you said, too, is understanding your internal audience like. We yeah. basically need to do a better job of doing that consumer research <laughs> on our, our peers, right? Like, what is it, what language are you using that you care about that, you know, I can speak to, um, to, to like get the insights that you need. I love how you talked about simplifying the complex. Like, you know, we, I was, 
I think it was New York quirks, but maybe it was Chicago. I'm pretty sure it was New York. Danielle from Roku was presenting about how to turn like a hundred slide deck into a 10 slide deck. And her whole like approach was that each of the 10 slides could live on their own. It's like, here's the data to back it up and the, the, mm. the next steps. Here's what you need to do with it. You can lift that slide and use it all by itself. Here's the 10 most important things we learned in the entire study. Oh, and by the way, if you need more data or you need more to back that up, we've got a hundred slide deck that right. we as the insights department care about. But to communicate it. I think JV's internet went for a sec. Oh, am I back? I You're did back, get a little. There's, there's an epic, there could have been an epic screenshot moment. I just didn't do it to you because I love you too much. <laughs> oh, God. I, I did get a little bit of an error message that was like, uh, your internet might not be happy right now. So anyways, we are back. <laughs> we're live. This, this is Friday afternoon. We knew it was going to get weird. Um, so, you know, we kind of started this conversation talking about, you know, the the industry and kind of the adoption of technology does seem to be a little bit more promising than maybe it's been in the past. Um, so how important is the use of technology and how should insights teams go about exploring and choosing the tech that's going to that's going to serve them the best, serve their needs the best? So I think te technology is is just simply um, a tool that we use to make things easier. And so what I what I struggle with is when insights teams try to buy software to do their jobs, but try to try to use them in the exact same way they used to hire consulting companies. Mm. Um, you know, to, to su successfully adopt something, you do have to have a bit of an operational lens to say, okay, how do I set this upright? Who are the stakeholders who need access to this? How can I actually think through how this might connect with other systems that I might be using so that I can tell kind of unified story? So um, what, what I would say is you, you, can't, you can't buy a system and expect the exact same output you got on Nielsen Basies 20 years ago. Like it's mm. just not going to happen, you know? And, and so I think that that required, and again, that goes back to discovery and being able to challenge people internally to say like, hey, y'all want to get answers iteratively overnight so we can learn. I dig it. We're going to do that. But don't expect the 80 slide deck. I'm just going to give you an answer on the three things you need to improve. And so I think there's, and you know, there's 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 some subjectivity that prevents technology from being able to do all that stuff because, you know, the CMO might like a certain color or a chart a certain way. And I, I think we spend a lot of time wasted there versus on the value that we actually create. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also would say like technology is only one part of the solve for all the talk that it gets if you don't set up the people and the process dynamics around the technology and have the culture to allow teams to use it appropriately, it's just a shiny toy. Right. And I, I think that's where a lot of businesses get wrong where, you know, the CMO, the CMO gets a $10 million recommendation from Bain who then says you need to become agile. And then everybody frantically panics in the company and goes and buys agile tech and <laughs> it actually changes. And, and so um, I oftentimes, joke that like, I, I thought I was selling software, but you know what? I actually am a change management consultant for half the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and I don't say that uh, to be to be rude. I, I do think like it's your job to make sure your customers use Vox Potme correctly. It's my job to make sure that our customers use um, Zappy properly, which means it's it's uh, it's hard. I think it's hard for companies to do this, and so it behooves the technology vendors to make that process easy, but also to make sure your customers aren't using your software in a way that's going to make them fail. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's really important. Um, I still think that there's a very small minority of insights people who are scared of using technology. Um, mm. They should be more scared about losing their jobs if they're scared of using technology. I mean, this stuff's easy. It's everywhere. Um, and it doesn't mean if you're, if you're listening to this call and you work in a consulting company or I actually think it's a great opportunity because you can a use technology to help your customers, but b similar to the insights people being more strategic, you can get paid to use your brain versus to do stuff. And technology mm -hmm. does a lot of the stuff these days, and there's a lot of incredible developments happening there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's such a good point you make that it's you know the technology has to come with you know uh, changes to people, process, and culture. It's not just about using the technology. And and I don't think that's actually unique to the market research space, not right? At all. Like, you know, I, I'll, I'm guilty of the same thing. You buy a piece of MarTech software that's going to help you do your job better. And like, what I'd love to do is spend five minutes setting it up and then forget about it and have it do all the work for me. But it does often require like <laughs> some you know, change of process in some way. I'm thinking about like years ago, three, four years ago, when we implemented Drift on our website and started moving away from forms. Right. Like, you know, we weren't maximizing the tech and it did it did just as good as we put into it, basically, until we did more. And it took us a long time to like, we had to have like roadmaps in place for how we want to maximize the the use of the tech. And you know, and, and I think that's an ongoing thing. And it's all, there's always some other new shiny piece of technology that's going to, you know, I can see value in all of it. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, but if you think about it time. in your world, right? Like, so you have customer success people, AEs, content marketing people. You want them to sell stuff, make your customers successful and create content that helps those people sell stuff. Mm hmm. You don't really want them all day messing around with how to make the technology work. Yet what's actually happening in a lot of big businesses is they're asking the same people who are responsible for answering, should we price this at $5.99 or $10.99 to figure out how to digitally transform their business. And so this tension of global, local capability versus in the brand, what have you, is a really important one to navigate because I think... What, we'll just use centers of excellence for the point for the purpose of keeping this conversation efficient. But those people, if they're doing their jobs right, really, really, really understand the needs of the woman who's trying to decide five ninety nine and ten ninety nine, and are developing the stack for them. Mm -hmm. Too often they sit in their global box and they don't understand that you know what in China there's a lot of nuance and we're behind on our sales numbers and so we need to do things differently. And so uh, what I what I struggle with is is I, I think a lot of times people who are being asked to deliver insights or generate marketing are also being the ones who are asked to develop the stacks around them. And um, if you're doing that on the fly, it, it could work if you're incredible. But I, I just think that's a tension with the, the jobs that people are being asked to do. Um, you know, if I'm a local insights per person trying to sell more diet Pepsi, my true north is that P&L, not like the integration between Black Swan, Street B, Zappy, and Vox Potney. I don't care about that. It would be great if it was there for me to help me, right? But like, I don't have the time to actually do that in my day job. 
Yeah, it's it's such a good point. And I think that is that is a little bit of a, a push and pull that a lot yeah. of insights folks are faced with right now. Like you need to be <laughs> evolving the technology and doing your day job. And I had this exact conversation with Therese Schroeder on the show a few weeks back that like, you know, you can't be pulled in both those different directions because inevitably the insights people are going to rely on the processes or the approaches or methodologies or technologies that they know are working for important decisions. So how do you spend the time? Like those, that's why those center of excellence um, departments that I've seen emerge like not that recently, like, you know, the last five years or so, it's not like they've been, um, I haven't seen them, I guess in, in like forever. So it's kind of a newer approach that seems to be the way to go. And the companies that are really using those teams properly and they are supporting the insights teams properly are the ones that seem to be ahead on the, the transformation side of things. Agreed. Agreed. Creating the space to do it. it and that yeah. starts with like the CEO saying customer intimacy or customer relevance yeah. or community integration, whatever buzzword they're using in their earnings report, they have to start with that. And then the rest of the company can start to rally around it and create the space. And in some cases, the funding to actually set these programs up in a way that's going to work for a company, particularly a global company that might have multiple categories, multiple markets, and everybody is naturally matrix because they need to be close to the problems. It, it, it it compounds the challenge, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. It has been. I love love chatting with you on a Friday afternoon, and I I always appreciate your uh your sharing your expertise and your experience. So thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for letting me go on a few tangents. I appreciate you and all of your listeners for uh, for listening to me. It's been really amazing. Fun. Amazing. Well, have a great weekend. Thank you everyone for listening in. Um, Please remember to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast. Oh, and before I forget, a plug for Ryan and Patricia's podcast, Inside Insights. If you haven't listened to it yet, make sure you do. Um, And we will see you again soon. Bye everybody. Thanks, JV.